You know, Kevin, last time we all tried to take a trip, we had a problem that started just like this. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Fine! I don't want to be down there anyway. I can't trust anybody in this family. And you know what? If I had my own money, I'd go on my own vacation. Alone. Without any of you guys. And I'd have the most fun of my whole life. Well, you got your wish last year. Maybe you'll get it again this year. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Family's in Florida and I'm in New York. My family's in Florida. I'm in New York. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York. Starring Catherine O'Hara. As a matter of fact, this has happened before. It's becoming sort of a McAllister family travel tradition. Funnily enough, we never lose our luggage. Daniel Stern. We're busted out of the clink and we're doing fine. We're going to be doing even better because we're not robbing houses anymore. Now we're robbing toy stores. At midnight tonight, we're hitting Duncan's toy chest. Five floors of cash. Joe Pesci. Nothing would thrill me more greatly than to shoot you. Knocking off a youngster ain't going to mean all that much to me. Understand? And Macaulay Culkin. You can mess with a lot of things. Can't miss with kids over Christmas. Directed by Chris Columbus. Hello and welcome to the Rewire Movie Podcast. It's the podcaster who saw Uncle Frank naked in the shower and grew up never feeling like a real man. It's Gally in Glasgow. The Turtle Doves. It's Templin in London. Get out of here, you nosy little pirate, or I'm gonna slap you, silly. Oh, you're cooking, Frankie. It's Patrick in London. Sick. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, gang, and welcome back, listeners. A long, long hiatus. Um, but we return in real form, just in case people thought we'd, uh, you know, flown the, the turtle dove nest. Flew the I don't coop. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The pigeon coop. Yeah. We've emerged from our tiny little plastic playhouses and we're ready to steal some orphan money. You smell that? That's freedom. <laughs> yeah, we are back, team, and we're here doing our our Christmas special, our annual Christmas special. We sometimes in the past have done several um Christmas delights, but for this one we've we're going to get one big kick in the Christmas baubles. Hello there. Crap, crap dad joke there. We. Um, so we are back doing Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York. Uh, I've missed your colon. Do we even need to, to review the film? Because if there's a semicolon in the title, it means it's good. <laughs> so, yes. Although Law Momad 2, yet to be decided where we landed on that mm. one. Anyway. Um, how are we doing, gang? We're back. Merry December. Yeah, sorry, a little bit of a hiatus there, Gally. A little bit busy at work recently, but very glad to see you all for Christmas cheer. Ab- yeah. Absolutely, Patrick. I- I'm the same as well, so let's not all put this on uh, on Patrick's shoulders. I uh, Let's just put it this way. We were the web bandits. We're now... Well, it's not the first time I was ever called the Sticky Bandit, but we're now the Sticky Bandit. Um, John Hughes is a filthy man because when I start thinking about the Wet Bandits, I'm like, yeah, that's also quite (laughs) Sticky Bandits is really bad. Um, But yeah, we are back, broken out of prison, talking about Home Alone 2, um, which I think for many 
is like on Christmas rotation, so we should we should let them know whether or not we think it's even worth watching it every year, right? Yeah, it's good to do it now as well because Dev says do it later, right? Dev, Dev says do it towards the end of the Christmas season to get it in before. When to put it in? I, th- I think I remember it was yeah. the last year we did uh, Home Alone yeah. episode one hundred. So, yeah. Twelve months. Um, ago. So yeah, I seem to remember saying that um, I would try and get Home Alone original flavor in somewhere a little mm. after the 20th of December but certainly before Christmas Eve just to make sure you manage to fit this one in this used to be like a Christmas Day film I think for me yeah mm. is, is this on your double disc DVD it is set? it is <laughs> I, I went out and bought the uh 2.99 or whatever from from Amazon the worst the holiday fun pack or whatever they call it I think I've got I think I've got the same yeah. thing but on Blu-ray okay. and that's where I watched this. Did you get all the other that's wonderful that. entries in the series or you... uh I, I actually know. weirdly I paid extra to not have them it was less <laughs> it was less money to get one yeah. through four I think and I paid extra to get an older disc which is just one and two I'm I'm sorry Alex Alex D Linz but not in my house yeah, sorry, ScarJo, but it's safe to say we're not going to be doing Home Alone three next year, right? We'll we'll pick something else. <laughs> but is that why we're doing this one this year? Because we did number one last year. Well, it does feel like uh, you know two does follow one in most numerical uh, you know languages. <laughs> so yeah, we just uh, kind of figured why not? And also the turtle does right. Wonderful representation, friendship. I can have two. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know, I just gave you $20 and $24 for this bath soap. And uh, are you going to give me two, two porcelain turtle doves? Oh, you are too generous, Mr. Duncan. Adjusted for inflation, $100. Well, why don't we do a round table then? I'll start with you, Matt. Um, Home Alone 2, Cold On, Lost in New York. Is this just an absolute kind of follow-on from you know the sweet, warm, cinnamon-like... Uh, taste of the first film yeah uh this was 1992 for me first encounters uh, i saw this with my dad at the abc cinema in darlington oh, bless abc yeah one of deb's old favorites yeah. too uh, deb's old haunts uh, i was 10 years old and i also saw the fugitive not long oh after. what a double bill it... that's fantastic well it... i remember yeah, you saying this of... last year yeah like, it was crazy like... double bill my, my dad didn't take me to, to the pictures much, but I think this was a bit infantile for him. So the next one, he went slightly too far the other way. So I, I ended up 11 years old watching Richard Kimball yeah. and, and you know, murder his wife. Just came out but, and shouted, I did not kill my wife. <laughs> um, outhouse, henhouse, doghouse, all, all that stuff. Uh, also, I went to New York City with my college in July 2001 so that was two months before 9-11 and we were set to to visit the windows on the world which is where one of the planes came in I think but it was our trip there was cancelled so I could have been in there like two months before it happened so I'm always kind of uh, wondering what that would have been like um, so I'm always reminded of, of that on on when I watched the the film we went inside the Statue of Liberty it's tiny in there you can squeeze like five people in there in the little crown we went to radio city we went to wwf new york and i met hardcore holly That's so cool um, that was the coolest story yeah. i ever heard when matt told me this the other day <laughs> yeah he, he walked past our table i just reached out he shook my hand it was great um <laughs> and then uh, we saw the new york knicks play and the yankees we sh- we all shouted met suck it was great 
And then uh, I spent most of my time looking for one of those red Yankee hats that Fred Durst used to wear, but uh, it was that era we were all doing it. And then, uh, yeah, we stayed in a hostel in Harlem and it just, you know, takes me back to those, you know, those days. And I've watched the film consistently probably every year or two forever. It's a Christmas staple and it it only makes sense to to put it under the rewind microscope and see see if the pigeons still, you know take off well i was i was unashamed in our episode on home alone to say that i fucking love this film um and it's really great i i think this is one that i definitely saw at the cinema and i remember being excited to see the cinema i remember the trailers and and the excitement around it and it was the loughborough odeon uh i went to i can remember it's it's um title up on the board outside and going in and watching it and it feeling like a real special Christmas film experience. Um, and I came away from it. I think it was the best film ever. And I think at the time I preferred it to one to home alone because maybe it's because I saw it at the cinema. Maybe it's because that impression um, washed over me and it was on. Yeah. Watched it constantly. Uh, both of them. Uh, and I don't know what, to, what else to say apart from you, I watch it every Christmas. I make sure a bit like Dev, one, then two, and it's right up there with the um, Christmas viewing. The, um, they, yeah, Gally, is, are you the same? Uh, you know what? No, I think. <gasps> Not to be the contrarian, the, the original, 100% every year. It's got to have been maybe four or five years since I've seen the sequel. Um, not, but I wonder if that's because, um, you know, I've tried to avoid the, the mouse's draw. So Disney Plus has not been something that I've uh, accepted in my home. Um, <laughs> and access to Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York, is, you know, preserved to those that have got it in, in hard media uh, or, or, you know, available on streaming. And it's not one that I, in memory that I've seen on television or on Sky. I know that, they're, you know, Sky run their kind of like Christmas uh, season on their channel, but they tend to own, you know, Love Actually, It's a Wonderful Life, that kind of stuff. But Home Alone, I think because Disney have uh, sucked it up and kept it for themselves, uh, it's just meant the last four or five years I hadn't seen it. So this was a real kind of, oh, I haven't, you know, it was kind of like a bit of a surprise to me because like, there were things that I didn't remember I remembered most of it, um, but there were the little bits where I was like, oh, I don't remember that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm coming slightly with fresh eyes at this. He says Matt talks about New York and I think the wish fulfillment New York pull was something that I had as a kid, because unlike you, Matt, I I wanted to go with my secondary school to New York. There was a trip organized uh, and I couldn't afford it. So uh, so I had Aww. to just sit and uh, wait for everyone to return with all their stories of uh, meeting yeah. the, the many, many friendly folk of New York. Um, some Spark of plug, friendly. Bob Holly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, yeah. No, I, most of <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, but I've now been, <laughs> as an adult, I have been, so I've scratched that mm. itch. But uh, New York in cinema, 
uh, was always something that was like, oh, I really want to go to New York. And I don't know why. Mm. But I think it's because mm. movies have infiltrated my brain. Um, so, yeah. It's a, it's a character in a lot of mm. films, isn't it? And that's why I went to the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree a few years oh, ago. And mm. it was, it's purely because of this film that I've always wanted to see it. Oh, the Ghostbusters lions outside yeah. the library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, were just, there were many, many, many sequences that I just associate with New York as a kid watching films and going... God, I'd want to go there. Look at it. It looks like such a great place. Even something like Wall Street, I'm like, oh, to go into Gecko's <laughs> office. Uh, anyway, Devlin, what about you? I know you kind of mentioned it, but this is just a, I mean, it's kind of your pick-ish, but we all agreed that we would we would settle in on this one. Um, yeah, I guess I, there weren't many Christmas films that we hadn't covered yet that have been like perennials basically since I first encountered them. Uh, I don't know, we did a, uh, a Christmas foursome a while back where we covered Gremlins, Scrooged, which I think is probably my personal favorite, maybe. Um, uh, what else? We have? Santa, uh-huh. Santa Claus, the Santa movie, Claus, the movie. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and uh-huh. Love, actually. And there, there, yeah, there weren't many left that, that were like absolute must-see. And Home Alone 1 and 2 is basically it. Um, I did see it at the cinema and I've seen it many, many, many times since. I had a similar thing, Gally, where um, that couple of years where it was missing, I think that it's a real shame if they don't license it out at least once to terrestrial television. I think that's actually just like a massive loss to the sense of Christmas as a monocultural experience because uh, as a godless heathen, um, there's not much about Christmas that um, carries a lot of tradition to it. And it is genuinely the films and eating too many pigs in blankets that basically is what Christmas is for me. So if you take half of that away, what's next? Put your foot down now, Dev, before it's too late. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, cheers, team. Now, before we get into Patrick recounting the uh, the plot of Home Alone 2, I would like to just set the Christmas table, shall we? Are we having Yorkshire puddings or not? Yes, Yeah, sir. of course. Of course. I think so. So... Just just to give people an idea of why this thing came out, because original film, 1990, $17 million budget makes $476 million worldwide, which is unbelievable, right? Incredible numbers. Think. Absolute global smash hit. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, comes out literally two years later. So the turnaround for this is pretty outrageous. Um but it does speak to uh, a time when sequels were, they were literally pumped straight out, weren't they? You know, got to catch catch the wave whilst mm-hmm. it's uh, whilst it's high. <laughs> got to do it before Macaulay. Yeah, before yeah. Macaulay starts, you know, generating a beard and being like, oh. Yeah, it's actually sounding like the tort boy. Uh, this is the father. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's why you've got to get it done. Um, so this, Home Loan 2, Lost in New York, $28 million budget. Mm. makes 359 million so the classic um makes less money costs more costs more because and this is the stuff i you know we're not normally heavy onto the research but this did kind of surprise me macaulay himself four and a half million to come back nice which is um unfortunately not all to him this is uh this is just before well this is during the uh macaulay's parents yeah. basically laundering his thing. money yeah. for them. Oh, um, but one of the things that was interesting is in the contract, Macaulay's dad wanted Macaulay to branch out 
into into you know look at my range um so he uh he signed him up to do the good son which have, have, have any of you ever Yay. seen that we, we spoke about it last year and i've still not seen oh it. you need to watch it patrick it's absolute batshit um mm. so he plays kevin McAllister if he were indeed a murderous <laughs> uh so and so who's obsessed with death and uh, and just wants to kill people and does so it's the film that roger ebert wanted yeah. yeah it's the hand that rocks the cradle if the the hand was a child uh, the so, cradle yeah. itself was the murderer <laughs> yeah what a twist but obviously all the other things that come with the cost is they do shoot a lot of this in new york the Plaza Hotel, etc. Tim Curry got paid eleven million, like Sigourney. <laughs> what? No, I'm just, I'm just joking. One of my favourite sight gags is the shot of Tim Curry getting slapped, and the slap comes out. <laughs> of the way. It's so it's good. The, he starts to cry. That's it's so funny. The, t- the, the bottom of, lip trembling. Yeah, yeah. it's so good. I mean, because <laughs> stupid lappets. It, 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 it reminds me of the naked gun two and a half slap <laughs> that comes out from the, the third side. But it's so good. Yeah. I just wanted to say that. Um, but yes, mm. so. We're talking about a sequel that's been turned around pretty quickly. All the main major players have come back. Chris Columbus, John Hughes is back writing. They were all on different projects, but then they weren't expecting Home Alone to be such a big hit. Mm. Now we're going to play our little box office game because 1992, Matt went to see The Fugitive. So that might be in. (laughs) I think we just crept into 93 in the UK, but it might have been 92 USA. So I'm not sure whether I can guess it or not. Well, should we play the box office game? Now, this is the week of release for Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. So this is November the 20th, 1992. US only because we'd mentioned this before. This is back in the day when the US was king and the world would have to wait for such films to be distributed internationally. I will start at number 10. When I think about it, I'm thinking about the famous V. Come on, you guys must know it. The Mighty Ducks. Absolutely, it's the Mighty Ducks. Yes. Yeah. And I've got I've got two more guesses just out the bat, if I can, to try and. Oh, go on then. Go on. What else do you think's in the? Surely, top? Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Aladdin, yes. Beauty and the Beast, no. Beauty and the Beast didn't make the top ten. No, just Aladdin. So number ten is the Mighty Ducks. Number nine is a uh, a Michael Mann film. I'll start with just that. See if you can get it. Last of the Mohicans? Absolutely. Well done, Matt. It was 92. Yeah. I thought it was later. It's, wow. it's, at number, it's at number nine. And I've got one more as well. I, I think the one that we've covered on the podcast is Basic Instinct. Negative. Ooh, Under no. Siege? Under Siege. Well done, Patrick. That's at number eight. Ooh. Under Siege 2, colon, Dark Territory. Negative. <laughs> that wasn't released just yet, but they were holding oh, okay. that one back. The original. They knew it was good. Yeah, yeah it was the original. best. Okay, number seven. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get this. Um, it's one I have not seen. Uh, a se- How do I describe it? Two sons of a stern minister, one reserved, one rebellious, grow up in a rural 1920s Montana while devoted to fly fishing. So it's not, it's one of those films that doesn't get made now. Interesting. Uh, Sounds like a... It's the river, oh, a river runs through them. it. Um, yeah, oh, of course. Bradley Pitts. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> it, it doesn't get, that, that Bradley Pitts. It doesn't get made now. <laughs> It's, it's too much it's acting. It's Redford, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Could you imagine the pitch? Well, they're just going to be fly fishing. Well, that sounds very exciting. <laughs> Are they going? Yeah, but they look really handsome while they're doing it. Yeah, they do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are they doing it in the Yemen? You're not ready for that. <laughs> But your kids are going to love it. Your kids are going to love it, indeed. <laughs> Number six is Aladdin, as uh, as Patrick stated. Yeah. Number five, here's your clue. Always bet on black. Hey, it's Passenger 57. 
Absolutely it is. Oh, nice. well done, Wesley. Go on, Wesley. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, okay, number four, we have covered it on the show. Is it young? one of the Young Guns? Young Guns 2? Bodyguard. It is the Bodyguard, yeah. Number three is a Spike Lee movie. Starring Denzel Washington, not much of a clue because it's Spike Lee. Malcolm X. It is Malcolm X, well uh-huh. done. And number two is a bloody good looking film. Hey, the Dracula. It is the Dracula, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dracula. And number one is Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York. Not a bad top ten. And again, we've mentioned it before, you know, it was decrying the death of cinema, but some seriously good choices there, right, yeah. for your week. I'm surprised Passenger 57 was so high. I'm also <laughs> kind of surprised and impressed that Malcolm X did so well. Yeah. Mm. Patrick, it's time for us to stop holding back the years. Let's talk about Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York. In 671 Lincoln Avenue, the McAllister family is busy packing for their Christmas trip to Miami, making sure they have the rubber sheets packed for fuller. Peter gets his camcorder batteries while accidentally resetting the alarm clock, while Kevin questions a Christmas in Florida. Do they even have any Christmas trees there? Whilst he's playing with his talk boy. Before their holiday, the Christmas pageant at school, where Kevin has his solo in the choir, upstaged by Buzz's antics to embarrass Kevin. The audience laughs along, Uncle Frank guffaws as Kevin realises and retaliates, pushing Buzz, which causes the whole choir and the piano player to fall. Buzz apologises but doesn't mean it and Kevin is fed up on the eve of Christmas holiday once more, wishing to have a holiday alone. He'd rather kiss a toilet seat than apologise. Kate says maybe his wish will come true again. When the taxi pull up, knocking over the statue and they knock on the door... Peter and Kate realise they did it again and slept in. The McAllister family vacation tradition, rushing to the airport, starts again. But this time, Kevin is with them until he needs to change his talkboy batteries and loses the family running to the gate 817, ending up on a flight to New York. Kevin, armed with his dad's backpack and subsequently his money, decides to enjoy New York, taxiing to downtown, visiting the World Trade Center, buying fireworks and encounters a lady in the Central Park covered in pigeons. Sick! And why not check into the Plaza Hotel? He charms the front desk and has to use his dad's credit card, which alerts the authorities and his family, who are somewhat disappointed at rainy Miami as as they worry about Kevin. Meanwhile, the newly dubbed Sticky Bandits, Harry and Marv, have escaped prison and have ended up in New York too. They plan to rob Duncan's toy chest store on Christmas Eve. The Plaza Hotel concierge is wary of Kevin, a child in a hotel alone, and snoops into his room at night, only to be tricked by Kevin's inflatable clown passing as an adult, ensuring the concierge scuttles off, aided by Uncle Frank's soundbite. Kevin starts to miss his family, but not before enjoying a complimentary limo and pizza after the concierge's intrusion, and heads to Duncan's toy chest, chatting to Mr. Duncan himself, who tells Kevin of his charity work, and gifts Kevin two turtle dove ornaments. As Harry and Marv case the joint, they run into Kevin. Oh no! And they chase him through Central Park. Kevin runs back to the hotel, but the concierge confronts him over his dad's credit card, and Kevin runs away, aided by the distraction of angels with even filthier souls, only to run straight into the arms of the sticky bandits, who are armed. Kevin gives them a slip again, but is scary at night around Central Park. And there's that pigeon lady again. (gasps) 
but she helps Kevin, and together they bond. Kevin learned of the Sticky Bandit's dastardly plans tonight and decides to do something about it. His uncle Rob's house is in New York under refurbishment, so Kevin forms his battle plan there, witnessing Harry and Marv stealing from Duncan's toy chest and photographing them in the act before smashing the window with a note to Mr. Duncan and leading them to his uncle Rob's. Meanwhile, the other McAllisters have arrived in New York, Kate and Peter getting a complimentary suite in the plaza due to their ineptitude handling Kevin, and Kate takes to the streets to look for Kevin. But she must bundle up. It's awfully cold out. Kevin gets Harry and Marv to suck brick, fall, be on fire, cover themselves in paint, electrocute themselves, and be crushed by a tool chest. Falling down the stairs. Before calling the comps and leading them to Central Park, where Pigeon Lady once again helps Kevin, covering the sticky bandits in a flock of pigeons as the New York Police Department arrived, alerted by Kevin's fireworks. But now, Kevin is stranded in New York, and Kate has no idea where he is. All she knows is that Kevin would love to be at home. He deserves to be with his family around the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree! Kate finds the biggest one she knows at Rockefeller Center, and there is Kevin. Reunited and relieved, Kevin and Kate apologize, and they awaken the Plaza Hotel to a parcel of Christmas presents, gifted by Mr. Duncan as a thank you. But as Barnes and family speak kindly of Kevin and start opening the presents he wants to see his new friend the pigeon lady who gives her a turtle dove this way they'll be friends forever Kevin's room service bill comes in you spent $967 on room service in the, in the grand scheme of things $967 seems pretty trite to me and in today's money it's about 1600 apparently very, very good, Patrick. Very, very good. Especially considering that uh, Popper McAllister has essentially gotten a free suite, which looked like it would have been oh, yeah. quite expensive mm. in night. What, what did you, who'd mm. recently stayed there? The Duchess of Worcestershire? <laughs> Herbert Hoover had stayed on that floor. So I think the jumping off point should really be similarities. I mean, the the rule of thumb with sequels. What similarities? <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> on Letterboxd, I went on Letterboxd, Matt, and you're oh, right, no. it can be dangerous. Um, but I went on there, and there was a few people that were a little bit snarky about the fact that it was like, well, this is basically a retread of the original. And I just think to myself, but what is the aim of a sequel? Mm. And then when I had a look at kind of like trying to distill that, the Hollywood mantra is give audiences something new, but the same, which is obviously a bit of a paradox. But the film kind of does that right but is it because it's beat for beat replacements or is it that you know we're in die hard 2 i can't believe this happened again how does it work with the gym commandments matt oh okay uh i've got um for anyone who doesn't know the gym commandments is uh, uh something we put together for judgment day uh, terminator 2 podcast and it's a, a box ticking exercise in terms of uh what would Jim do, basically? The, the, the rules of superlative sequels. And uh, I've got a, quite a surprisingly positive one. Um, I mean, Gally was hinting that, uh, you know, what, how else do you do this? But um, if, if you look at uh, the Jim Commandments, I've got should feel familiar yet original, which, you know, I could, you could argue absolutely yes. Um, I mean, everyone's got a different idea of what original is, but uh, um, identify what worked and build on it. Is this just a completely a retread or are they building on anything? Mm. Um, up the stakes, I suppose so. You know, Kevin's environment is also 
alien and foreign to him this time, as well as these guys trying to kill him. And they have a gun this time. Mm. And it's a simple thing, but I, th- I thought that was telling. Uh, the next one, play to and with audience expectations. I felt it absolutely does that. And particularly in the way that it's very cleverly set up to get him alone again. It's an implausible plot, really, for this to happen again. As we've seen in sequels that, that struggle with it. I'm looking at you, George, Jaws 2 and <clears throat> 3. And what 4 when we do it. Um, so, but I mean... I've got plenty of these, but Devlin did something very special this week. What did you do in terms of the timelines, Dev? Apparently, I got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so I was watch. I watched Home Alone. I wanted to watch Home Alone just to see what mm. was going on. And while I did, um, I was watching it actually on a, a system that I have at work, which has a, a burned-in time code. Um, I work for insert name of. Uh, major media conglomerate here where I can do this sort of that Gally won't pay for. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't need to. And um, I watched the, the, the film and I, I, I just kind of, I'd already watched Home Alone 2 at this point. So I was just refamiliarizing myself with Home Alone 1 and I couldn't help but notice like um, the callbacks that were extremely prevalent and some of the callbacks that were maybe less prevalent but, but really noticeable. And I ended up just um, writing down I'm going to put this, if you head across to rewindmoviecast.com, that's a website. Uh, I'm going to put this in there as an Excel attachment because I genuinely don't know how else to send this <laughs> to people. <laughs> so you can download an Excel spreadsheet from our website where I have listed 73 direct <laughs> references between film one and film two. I've also um, mm. time coded them. And color-coded them based on what day they took place. Um, it's fascinating stuff. It's really good. Definitely. For example, if I scroll back a little here, uh, in Home Alone 1, uh, the point at which uh, uh, Kevin mouths the words, you yeah, filthy animal, happens at the 54-minute <laughs> and 20-second mark. Uh, in Home Alone mm. 2, Lost in New York, he mouths the words, you filthy animal, at the 54 minute and 19 second mark. There is literally one second difference. Listeners, I, I implore you to, to check out the spreadsheet. I mean, maybe we'll find another way of representing it. Maybe a Gantt of some sort. But <laughs> but you, know, you get what I'm saying. Um, because it's interesting. I've mentioned the quick turnaround. Mm. To me... It kind of makes all the sense in the world, especially when you bring in back all of the key players, all the key creatives. So you've got John Hughes, you've got Chris Columbus to, to try and in order to provide that something, yeah. uh, something new, but the same, you take the mm-hmm. framework and actually, but th- this methodology, probably something that's been employed many, many on many, many different sequels. You hear Spielberg's talk about it, don't you? He says, you know, you have to make the same film again. But you have to just twist it enough. Yeah, the the trick to, is to is to make people feel like they're watching something new. But yeah. the journey mm-hmm. is probably yeah. going to be the same, right? It's just that the elements of the journey are slightly adjusted. It's it's quite careful, I think, as well in terms of are you just uh, replicating to lesser effect, or in a way, are you quoting something in a way that makes the audience actually like being there? Like most sitcoms or television shows, they rely on on that familiarity. They want the sense of, you know, stepping back into the same comfortable situation. And I think people loved Home Alone so much that 
the the fact that so the opening film uh, the opening sequence of the film i've got all taking place over the course of one day um house full of rowdy youngsters walking around and yelling about packing kevin complaining to his mum before his dad walks in <laughs> and fusses with something before fucking up the um uh, uh the, the the clock uh the first mention of fuller wetting the bed buzz's first act of bullying the statue getting broken down by a uh, car pulling up uh kevin attacking buzz causing a catastrophe and kevin wishing that his mom was gone while standing in the third floor or laying in the third floor all take place virtually at the same time stamps all in the same space of a day and the next thing that happens is them waking up and yelling that we slept in i suppose the only difference is the school pageant. yeah and it like to to you know to up the ante of the sequel and take you know do yeah. something a little bit new it's mm. almost like a yeah. um, like a, a humorous dramatic irony and the idea of like the dad pulling out the 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 multi-plug extension which looked terrifying by the way i'm very scared of electricity <laughs> and that really freaks me out um and, and then the set of the tree yeah, in the resetting storm. the clock the audience gets to groan at that because it's like oh we know what's coming and like but yeah. not in a sort of lame way it's like <laughs> the film is kind of lampshading it and kind of offering it to us humorously same with when kevin turns around and takes his ticket from the front seat because he's he's not did i did i say playing with expectations did we do that one already yeah that, that i think it really does that and i actually i quite like the way he follows the the guy with his dad's jacket he's got the same jacket same trousers and shoes as well matt if you really (laughs) (laughs) it also has one of my favorite unsporting artists um there's a guy at the newspaper stand where the the uh mustache fake dad mustache fake dad is and he's just sat in the paper and he's like oh Uh and he stood there reading a paper and the paper's too high it's he's very funny there's a few guys in the airport actually who are scuttling across their line of the run in front of the camera to give wipes crashing into the stewardess Uh, yeah, mixing yeah. up the tickets so that you know yeah. then they have to choose boredom or not boredom it, it's pretty logical mm. and it's it's hard to pick it apart and i always go with it's it until you think like where are you supposed to be going i'm going to florida this is for new york <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> that question it's true and they sit next to a french guy well that, that that's that's key because it doesn't clue him in and yeah he does what yeah, any rational human being would do which is play some tom petty if a frenchman's talking to you on a, on a yeah flight. he does well in fact matt everyone does that on a flight now i mean yeah. i am i am immediately putting the earbuds in because i don't want yeah. to you know watch the same safety demonstration mm-hmm. again do you remember on uh die hard galley when we talked about how quickly they set things up uh it's 15 minutes here i for me anyway personally where i feel like the stage is set and the film has room to just have fun. And you just, it, it reminded me of Die Hard in that sense. You, there's enough of the story that, that's been put forth for you to enjoy it. I think if you're a cynical viewer, the the idea that they're going to do the, the Die Hard 2, how can the same shit happen to the same guy or same family again, you have to go with, the almost the leap in logic that this is going to happen again mm-hmm. initially for the setup. So let's say that Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is the first film or more cynical people would probably wear the premise, the conceit because we've seen the first one. It feels like extraordinary that they would make the same mistake again. I, if you're a mother and you're watching Catherine O'Hara, you're going, why aren't you on the flight? Then counting your kids instead, you're mm-hmm. sat in business class again, going, "Don't worry, everything's all right." Danielle did notice as well that Kevin's dad put a bit of weight on since the first one. She was like, <laughs> "You would probably spot that, but it's slightly bigger than mustache, fe- mustache fake dad." But yeah, that conceit, 
But Kate says, doesn't she, you're you're lucky that we're all on the same flight mm. this time when she's asked about why we're not sitting together. This is a Christmas film. It's also a kind of wish fulfillment Christmas tale. Yeah. I leave that stuff well, well in advance before the credits mm. even start. You know the bit where Kevin uh, breaks the fourth wall and he says, my family's in Florida yeah. and I'm in New York and he raises his eyebrows. I feel like that's them saying to us, look, we're doing our best here. We've got to get this kid on his own somehow. Yeah. So just, just go with it. You know, just go with it. Exactly. It's it's telling um how much compression there is in the timeline terms. Uh, the, the setup isn't much shorter, but as you go through that kind of first day and getting Kevin to sort of realize he's alone, there's a, a, a noticeable difference. Matt, you were just saying that how quickly you set things up in Die Hard, for example. Kevin realizes he's mm. alone at 20 minutes and 30 seconds in the first film. It's 17 minutes in the second one that he realizes. And these little tweaks, especially because it's a longer film, it means that we don't need as much setup because we've already met the family. We already know how he feels put upon and we already know what his, his, his place in the family is. So it feels like those mm. are the times that we, we lose little bits of family interaction because it's like that kind of like, just when are we going to get to the fireworks factory stuff? It's like, we know what we came to a home alone film for. So let's just, <laughs> let's just get him alone and running around. And that, and those, those three minutes that are saved in the setup Columbus uses for a, a basically a kind of New York postcard, mm. which you get the sense of like, how amazing would it be if you could just kind of, well, initially roam around the city as a kid and just go and see all the things that you want to see. I mean, excellent use of kind of transportation and getting around uh, quite a big island new york i've never been it's uh you know it can feel a little bit heavy on the legs but uh but kevin's mm. yeah full of energy uh and is and able to get around all envelope of the key. full of cash <laughs> so he can just jump yeah <laughs> absolutely but that's the other thing as well isn't it the the um it reminded me a little bit of the the film blank check where he's got his dad's credit card therefore we we don't have to worry about money mm. just yeah, just yeah. quite yeah he can literally just mm. be like oh i've got like ten hundred thousand dollars here because <laughs> we never know what kevin's dad does um but now my big question is uncle rob yeah fucking hell yeah but upper upper 95th street i don't think i think that was a a, a bad area i think at the time okay so i'll he can just move to france whilst he's renovating that um, <laughs> giuliani hadn't got to that bit yet. <laughs> yeah. the, maybe uh, maybe uncle rob and peter are like some sort of gangster family and they definitely are look at his yeah. jacket Look at his jacket. He's a Dell. He's a Dell boy. Where, where where does the extra running time come from, Devlin? Because you've got a, a side by side there. The second film is twenty minutes longer. Am I right? Uh, yeah, uh, ninety four minutes for the original, one hundred and ten for the sequel. It's got to be the Plaza, right? Uh, yeah. yeah the, um, yeah. What we actually we lose a day in in Lost in New uh, York. Um, in the build, we yeah. uh, um, well, it, it's um, because we we don't have like that kind of the idea of being home alone is like Kevin slowly learning responsibility around the house, and you don't need that on this. So um, when he when he wakes up um, on his on his first kind of full day, so we see quite a lot of him going around New York on day one. And uh, day two, from him waking up and going out to the toy store with the cheese pizza, that's it. That's the rest. That's the rest of the film. Like it all takes place on Christmas Eve. Um, so all of the shenanigans aren't broken up. Uh, the extra time comes in um, in the violence. 
It's all in the end. I was going to say the <laughs> yeah, violence yeah. Is, is extended. He, isn't he it? pulls yeah. out the um, he pulls out the blueprints at virtually the same timestamp: seventy-one minutes in the first, seventy-two and a half in the second, and yet from that point on, blueprints onwards is pure just misery for Harry and Mark. Mm. I did notice that Devlin that um, that it felt like there was less Harry and Marv throughout the runtime, but then we got more of them at the back mm. end. Is that right? Yeah. Because I felt like there was more There's, of them. We don't need to establish them. Yeah. No, uh, we don't. I just mean as in, I just mean as in, they're not uh, as a constant threat. They sort of we. It's the plaza. It's the plaza mm. adults that that take up the bulk of the the kind of Act One, half of Act Two, and then. Mm. Then the the sticky bandits really start to kind of they, show, I have them popping up show their face roughly a similar amount of times ever so slightly more in the first but they do kind of one two three four they just kind of keep popping in and out and I think you know when they catch him out the back of the hotel with the gun and then tell him what they're going to do for their crime but then he manages to get away. That's, Shut up, Devlin. That's like uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's quite that's quite an interesting one because that's like. Yeah. It only lasts two minutes, but it's just a, it's an excuse to get him back with them again so that you remember that they're there so that he can go off. Great, them. great pinching of the tush <laughs> into the punching. Absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Mon cherie. <laughs> <laughs> John, for you, Jim Commandments, you can give me a guilty or not guilty if you want to. Um, give the audience something new. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, is the enemy of sequels. Ah. Uh, what do you think? Did you get anything new? Colourful, colourful side characters, isn't it? Like in the original, when you think about when he goes to the soup, uh, the supermarket to buy the toothbrush, everyone's everyone's playing it straight, and Kevin's the kind of you know he's the oddball. In this one, he's almost like the straight guy as the ten year old kid. When Rob Schneider's in the movie, you have to be location. And uh, what's the on the buses thing? That leads into the next one, Patrick. Continue the story. Don't just repeat the original in a new location. <laughs> For example, Speed Two Cruise Control. <laughs> Uh, guilty or not guilty? Guilty, because it changes story, the location. location. Yeah. yeah. Also, different message. That was the bit that surprised me in rewatching it was um, Pierce Pigeon or Pierce Morgan Pigeon, <laughs> Pierce Morgan, uh, pigeon lady. lady. It's a shame. It's a shame for the actress <laughs> who's is she. She won an Oscar, didn't she? Brenda Fraser. She was in yeah. My Left Foot. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, you know, really good uh, screen presence. Given a bit of a pigeon turd mm. of a of a character, I would say. But I do like the the Madame Bovary kind of moth eating clothes. You know, given up on love. The 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 idea that Kevin learns this lesson about in the city where people get lost and and, and aren't seen, I think is quite a quite a, a beautiful and lovely message. It mm. just feels like it's not threaded as well no, it's as just the first one it feels like almost like an scene, annex yeah and and that's for me if i had a about a, a criticism or not it's not even a criticism the emotional beats because of the music because of the over sentimentality and because i'm a sucker still got me but yeah it doesn't affect me and move me mm. the way that the first one does and because the old man has like a you know he's set up right at the beginning as like a threat and someone to be scared of the pigeon lady 
does the same thing, but um, and the message is slightly different for Kevin to learn. But I just wonder. Mm. I wrote down and I shared it with you guys, didn't I? I wondered if they could lean into the children's hospital and have kind of a prince and the pauper tale. You thought a counterpart to Kevin would would have taught him a valuable lesson about class or about how fortunate he is. Yeah, he's living in the you know he's living basically every every kid's dream. He's got money. He's living in a plush. A penthouse in the plaza in New York. Living. Well, yeah, well, he's got you know three scoops or two, Patrick. You know, whereas <laughs> he's not driving, yeah, he's not, he isn't. And that cheese pizza is just like I've never seen a margarita look so good. <laughs> but you know, counter that with maybe like a real life child from New York. Mm. It might be. I think the only problem I it might have is it might bring the mood down, maybe, yeah. and that's why Pigeon Lady can be better because she's essentially kind of like. A bit of a kook. I think it's also a little bit... It almost doesn't work as well as Old Man Marley because Old Man Marley's looking at something he can't figure out how to ascertain, like his granddaughter, and then we see the resolve at the end. But in here, it's all wishful, wishful thinking. But I do quite like the relationship between... That, that conversation between them and uh, the longing and talking about unselfish acts you know don't make a promise you can't keep and a good deed raises a bad one the roller skates uh, the roller skates you know opening your heart up to someone and i i do like i, I do like that and I, I do think it does relate to the children's hospital as well because the stars constantly i think it's two times to see the star that, that from kevin's point of view that's kind of reaching out to him and he's not sure what it is yet and she helps him realize that and, and it, I mean, it's a little on the nose, a bit little contrived, but the just follow the star in your own heart is a really nice sentiment. I wasn't always like this, you know. Oh, what were you like before? I had a job. I had a home. I had a family. Did you have any kids? No. Oh, I wanted them. But the man I loved fell out of love with me. That broke my heart. And whenever the chance to be loved came along again, I ran away from it. I stopped trusting people. No offense. That seems like sort of a dumb thing to do. I was afraid of getting my heart broken again. You see, sometimes you can trust a person, and then when things are down, they forget about you. Maybe they're just too busy. Maybe they don't forget about you. They forget to remember you. I don't think people mean to forget. I think it just happens. My grandfather says, my head wasn't screwed on, I'd leave it on the school bus. I'm just afraid if I do trust someone, I'll get my heart broken again. I understand that. I used to have this really nice pair of rollerblades. I was afraid if I wore them, I wrecked them. So I kept them in a box. And do you know what happened? No. I outgrew them. I never wore them once outside. I just warm in my room a couple times. A person's heart and a person's feelings are very different than skates. Well, they're kind of the same thing. If you aren't going to use your heart, then what's the difference if it gets broken? If you just keep it to yourself, maybe it'll be like my rollerblades. When you do decide to try it, it won't be any good. You should take a chance. Got nothing to lose. But a truth in there somewhere. I think so. Your heart might still be broken, but it isn't gone. If it was gone, 
you wouldn't be this nice. But I do think we have the kid thing, Gally, and I think it's it, it's there and enough for me when he looks at the the boy in the window who waves, mm. solitary, and and that is what you're talking about. But we, we thought that he could have had a, like a, a friend that got like hypothermia and he went into the hospital and then he had to get the money back because that was the children's hospital. We could hook everything in. The other reason I wanted to do, I thought about that, Patrick, was because, I mean, I love all the plaza stuff, but Tim Curry's suspicions when he just sees a child walk across the lobby feels slightly unusual to me he's why does he have such contempt for a child right from the get-go if he saw kevin with say a kid that does not belong in the plaza a street urchin a street (laughs) street, yeah again i choose my words try and choose my words carefully then that would maybe again provide that kind of motivation for why they are deeply suspicious Mm -hmm. um you know he's not suspicious of a blow up clown in the shower but he is <laughs> that's, <laughs> payoff, so, Gary. that's james cameron-esque that setup and payoff with i know it is that yeah. clown uh i mean grandma penelope's present kevin's lung capacity must be he, he should have been an <laughs> olympic swimmer the way he gets that clown blown up in quick time <laughs> fantastic <laughs> and the rig as well yeah well but, but also you know i that never bothered me i thought the concierge is doing his job he sees a kid wandering alone on its own in okay. this in the most expensive hotel in new york that yeah. i think that's their job isn't it and let's not forget as well this is a kids film we need to make bad guys out of the simple little i'm things. just trying to i'm just trying to tidy it up a little bit because only because sure i, and, like and the, I, know, I don't pi- wholly disagree pigeon pigeon lady mm. i think it works it works as a good substitute for old man marley mm. um if you're but it is just that the, something it? something yeah uh, mm. something different but new um, but I, I wonder if they could have just diverged slightly. But I suppose when you consider the amount of time that they would have had in pre-production to get the screenplay written, I think maybe John Hughes just said, listen, let's just substitute it. And as you say, it's still Christmassy. It still feels very in keeping. And I quite like the fact that it's a different lesson. It's not just don't be scared of old people um, and you know, and don't judge people you know, by, yeah. by what you're uh, told yeah. about them. It is interesting that they're both put into positions where they where they have their conversation with music in the background. Just another mm. wasn't like, Philip Glass uh, though, but it was Carnegie Hall. Yeah. For for keen eared listeners, they'll know that <laughs> I've got a history with that place. Um, <laughs> like, was it? It was it John Williams. It was yeah, conducting yeah, yeah. in the thing with his yeah. little cocked eyebrow oh. when the camera goes past. He looks so <laughs> cool. The goat. Um, yeah. He is the goat. Can we? we what did you say? He looks like a goat now. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Columbus is in the toy shop with his daughter as well. Is he really? Saw that. Yeah. But no, no one knows what he looks like, so no one really can. Spot I don't know him if we easily. we gave John Williams enough credit in the when we did Home Alone, but the music mm. again. It, it's just that classic case of like when you merge moving image with sound and then with music and you get the right pitch perfect music you know because it is a bit saccharine it is a bit sweet but by golly good does it work <laughs> we could talk about john williams all, all podcast though couldn't we we could he, he, he needs to stop being great I mean, give someone else a chance i had tickets to see him conduct at the royal albert hall about four years ago and two days before he turned ill and couldn't attend and i was so upset but I'm but glad he was okay. I was uh, I was on a, a Christmas steam train yesterday in uh, Hampshire with, uh, <laughs> with my, for my brother's birthday with his kids and my granddad was there and my mum was there and it was all very nice and they um they had these speakers integrated throughout the whole thing. The train was wrapped in 
Christmas lights and stuff. It was very cool. And they were playing almost nonstop throughout the entire experience, the Home Alone score. And it is telling that it is both so um, evocative and also that you never get tired of hearing it. It's just, um, it's got just the right amount of like lush and uh, yeah, the big sweeping. I, I think um, when you were talking about the um, the class conscious uh, buddy mismatched potential version of this movie, I was just very quickly going to say that Matt, you mentioned uh, a couple of weeks back or a couple of days back, I can't remember, that um, American attitudes towards class probably would put paid to that because they don't really like talking about it we'll, we'll die this idea that we'll die in the class we were born mm. uh, uh and uh in america you can you can be president or you know walk on the moon yeah and anyone can do anything but we, we're in a very different situation like home alone the british home alone would be more like the roger ebert version of the of the film i think it's um so that that's quite telling and so it would have to be handled quite sensitively and it would essentially like for maybe not all audiences but certainly for audiences in places that do have a more strictly defined class system it would make a lot of the McAllister family's ostentatious wealth look quite distasteful well we talked about it Devlin when we did Love Actually that you we you sort of just bypass the fact that everyone is egregiously loaded yeah. like Liam Neeson's <laughs> kitchen is huge yeah. and obviously he's suffered uh, a tragic tragedy with his wife dying right at the beginning of the movie mm. but you are going my god it's difficult to watch people go through like emotional like oh yeah that must be a really difficult emotional experience for you fucking three million pound house probably helps though doesn't it <laughs> yeah we, we just want to key their cars don't we so um <laughs> and also you'd have to cast again like what are the chances yeah. of striking lightning twice with with the although elijah wood the good son elijah wood's coming uh, up he could be the urchin oh but, but, then, but then that's what pigeon ladies yeah but she's yeah. you know you can get a you can get a grown-up in and you can be like oh she's a fucking pro you can give her whatever dialogue you want she's gonna sell the hell she out she is of a it. pro she's covered in shit and still managed to come out smelling like roses <laughs> <laughs> i never think john hughes would do that galley because the point is it's the adult child dynamic mm. in relationship and and columbus does this uh with some of his uh choices of composition we do see a lot of the world through kevin's eyes mm. and i suppose yeah. one of the things that a 10 year old has as a perspective is that they might not necessarily fully uh, get to grips with uh, some of the uh some of the lack of fairness that uh that yeah. cuts across yeah, normal yeah. society I, I, mm. it's a different film and i think if they probably had more time they could have maybe played with it a little bit more no it's it's a really good idea and 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 i think that you know if, if you pull it off you could have like you know a real different film what matt was saying there about anybody could become the president well when you see a literal former potentially re-elected president <laughs> in the film which i by the way as a cameo i thought uh, and i thought at the time when i saw it that it was a really good choice because when i think of new york or when i did think of new york certainly maybe not now but certainly back in 92 who was mr new york well it was mm -hmm. donald well, trump right New York's also like a favours town for the film industry. Mm. You do a favour, you'll get this location. You do this favour, we'll, we'll yeah. close the street. Back back in, you know, like the gangsters in this, when we're making The Godfather and stuff. But so Donald Trump, it was a favour, wasn't it? It was, put me in and you can have the plaza. Yeah, and yeah, which is which is incredible. Cause I, and again, I think that would have been a bit of a crowd cheering moment in 92. Mm. Yeah. Um, just because they would have been like, Part oh, of the deal was out, wasn't it? And also it was, um, you know, cameos now seem to be kind of par for the course. But back then, that would have been a real like, hey, up. Oh, what was that? 
That was pretty, uh, yeah. pretty cool seeing a cabbie. It was a bit like, um, what's his name? And <laughs> just thinking about an airplane. Was it? What's the basketball player who's one of the pilots? You Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> oh, Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Yeah. Getting carried out. <laughs> See, the face. He's got the goggles and the knee pads on by the time he's getting pulled out of his seat. <laughs> oh dear! But no, it's uh, it's great. And in New York as well. Um, I think back to and again because it's been such a kind of pull for me uh, in cinema. But in '92, this is pre-regentrification-ish. It's just about to happen. We're still in mm. the kind of Times Square, still a bit dirty. Yeah, everything's a bit filthy. It reminded me, like, because. When, Kev- when Kevin's around the park and he sees some of the kind of, you know, the dangerous, it, el- <laughs> dangerous <laughs> elements of New York, which again, much better in here, kid. from, from his, I know, I it did look a little bit like, uh, Edgar suit, didn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> mm, you're expecting a cockroach to come out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, but, but More one of the things sugar. that I thought was, um, again, it's all kind of shot from his perspective. So were they as kind of horrible as, as he saw it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it reminded me of, uh, I'm a big Sopranos fan. And when Meadow moves to New York and she's got like this impressionable, yeah. uh, like <laughs> friend who's never, who's like from Arizona, she sees like a woman shit in a bit of newspaper and then put it on <laughs> as a lapping. Oh, no. She's absolutely horrified by the image. But I just thought there is a version of this film that could actually lean really into that. And Kevin go, mm. oh, I really hate New York. Yeah. Get me to Miami where I can watch some seedy adult films for like cents. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then do you remember in the first where Devlin said they cut back to the mum? Doesn't he say, mum, where are you? Mm-hmm. Or I want my mum. And then it cut, it cuts back again. Yeah. And it's the remind, I think it does. It's like a reminder of the connection. And it's, it's really nicely composed that Matt as well, because he's looking left to right and she's looking right to left as they ah. dis- cross dissolve. So it's Clever. like they're looking towards and for each other amidst, I think they're looking at the window. It's yeah. raining for her. It's, it's really, it's nice. It's- and it comes at the right time again. Yeah. It's, it's timing and pacing, and it's, it's uh, a good reminder. Ten minutes ahead in two, as from in wow. one, and it's actually weirdly, it's at the end of the first night. It's the last thing that happens on his first full day in New York that he already misses his mum, which is weird because he hasn't even gone off on his big Toy Story adventure yet. But then that's mm. where maybe this film. I would have liked a bit more Catherine O'Hara. Mm. The, the stuff with John Candy in the first one was really nice. Well, if, yeah. if you want more Catherine O'Hara, you just have to go to the 90s style making of, which is hosted by Catherine O'Hara in in a <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, Robin Hood, Cole and Prince of Thieves style. Here in New York, the uh, dogs are the size of cows and they're standing on top of the horses. <laughs> she's slightly less Shakespearean in her delivery, but uh, it's up there with the uh, Dennis Hopper speed one. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. It's one of those. It's well, it's well, I thought it was well done. And actually it got a, a little bit of an insight into, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to move on to Chris Columbus as a filmmaker, because when I looked at his filmography, I was like, I tell you what, there's some films here that I watch yearly. Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. I know it's mm. just basically the Robin Williams show, but I absolutely love Mrs. Doubtfire. Another Piers Brosnan, when he gets he, pelted by that. He's uh, been in the uh, news uh, recently, uh, Gally, for uh, apparently he's got all these hours of of really NC-17 stuff that was shot <laughs> on Mrs. Imagine. Doubtfire. <laughs> that he, that they're thinking of cutting together as some kind of a, at least as a documentary to to show the way Robin Williams worked and the, the kind of improv that, that he was doing. Going back to Columbus then, really strange career. Uh, people, again, who have listened to the show um, throughout will know that Bicentennial Man makes me 
literally ill. Um, and and I, I wonder, I do wonder if that like really did shake the core of Chris. Oh, Columbia. I don't know about that. Have you seen what he followed it up with? It's two of the biggest films ever made. He made the first yeah. two Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, this is true. Maybe it didn't but, shake him to the core. Uh, he did. Then he's not. He's not somebody who's on the radar, is no. he? Or in the discussion? You know, when people talk Especially about like Harry Potter, like because that's when he Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets were were good, and Philosopher's Stone in particular is a very Christmassy mm. feel and element to it. And it took John Williams with him. It was, you know, it made loads of money, and it, it's mm. sport. You know, I, I don't see the voice though. I don't yeah, see an auteur. You know, yeah, really that's true. Is that what it is, Matt? That he's he feels like Poundland Spielberg. Well, because his two most well-known films, aside from Potter, I'd say, were the Home Alone ones, which are kind of driven by Hughes. Uh, so I don't know if he kind of he goes into the background a bit. No one ever says it's Chris Columbus's Home Alone. It's always no. John Hughes's. And, and like you said about Mrs. Doubtfire. Same. Yeah, they say it's Robin Williams's Mrs. Doubtfire. You know what's mm. probably the most Chris Columbus movie? Just looking at his uh, filmography, the one that he's across the board credited as being the writer, producer, and director is Nine Months. Ah. Oh. I've got to say this, though, of a director, you know, you've still got to handle and direct and deliver something. I watched uh, Ad- Adventures in Babysitting, which wasn't bad, with a young Elizabeth Shue, uh, which is, you know, entertaining. Maybe you're right, Matt, or maybe the voice is a bit too Hallmark Christmas card style. <laughs> but the way that he delivers information in the mm. pratfalls... I yeah. think is kind of second to none. I'm thinking about in this one in particular, the the staple gun is is ace. <laughs> the way that that like develops as the gag goes, um, mm. and then my favourite is just how you connect the dots because we when we see Kevin doing um, setting up the booby traps in the brownstone, some of it is not disconnected, but you don't see how A connects to B and ends up at C and eventually Zed's for 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 Marv. But my favourite is the way that we have a hole in the floor, uh, uh, right from the front door with the with the gun. Then mm. we've got green gunk. Then we've got paint shelf. <laughs> then we've got sink that's going to electrocute him. And the way that that the way that that plays out, and it's all done uh, <laughs> cut into other things. But I am never not aware of how the thinking. I mean, granted, ten year old kid, pretty damn good planning. But I never, never lost as to how they've connected that. And it's so, so funny. Just the way he's like, wants to wash his hands after he's been covered <laughs> in pain, after he's tripped or slipped yeah. in the goo. And that's the stuff I think Columbus is really, really, you know, if you're going to give him anything, it's that he understands how to shoot yeah. that kind of slapstick stuff. Yeah. He also delivers the information really well, I think. Operation Ho, Ho, Ho. <laughs> See the map. The, the, the other thing there for me is uh, that you have to believe that Kevin is smart enough to do it. In the first one, I think it's the Michael Jordan bit where he he fools them from outside here there's a bit in the hotel where um tim curry has seen his dad in the shower mm. and <laughs> yeah and uh he says like if if someone saw you naked and would you want to see them for the rest of the trip he, he's he's you know hyper smart so manipulative isn't it yeah and he's his manipulation and his his, his forethought in like a deviant nature makes us believe that he like galley said the order of how that all goes down he's thought it all through and we we believe it because he's a smart little kid and how are we this morning fine is my transportation here out in front sir a limousine and a pizza compliments of the plaza hotel I do hope your father understands that last night I was simply checking the room to make sure everything was in order. 
Well, he was pretty mad. He was. He said he didn't come all the way to New York to get his naked rear end spied on. Of course not. Would he be down soon? He already left. Oh, I would have liked to have offered my personal apology. If some guy looked at you in the shower, would you ever want to see him again? I suppose not. I don't think you'll see him for the rest of our trip. I understand. Bye. Tone. We always talk about tone being like the hardest thing to ever nail down. It's also the hardest thing to create. And like the fact that the violence never gets tiresome and never gets like so mean spirited that you're not into it, at least in a sort of like those big flat wide shots, knowing like when the um the the, the big iron bar is gonna come down after Harry's no <laughs> cutting out to the wide to just see the reaction from above. And just see the hole. Mm-hmm. That's like, and a little bit of yeah. uh, breeze smoke. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. Dust. It's, dust. It's no Have you got any favourites in in that sequence? Uh, I know Patrick's definitely got a favourite. Oh, I mean, <laughs> God, you want to do it now? Well, <laughs> it, it is. It, if I was to have a list of the funniest things I've ever seen in in films ever, this would be number one because Marv getting electrocuted. <laughs> yeah, is. I, I, every time I watch it, every time I watch it, I react the same way. I'm, yeah. I'm in hysterics. I can't fucking contain myself. Is this it's specifically so the, the bearded skeleton? Or just <laughs> it's it's so just before that yeah. because, well, now it's just before that because the step before that, his hair goes on end <laughs> and his his scream gets higher pitch. Yeah. And when it reaches that level of pitch, I know that the skeleton is <laughs> coming. coming. So I'm yeah. just losing my mind. He's like, oh, oh, oh. That that moment is absent and stern is so even when and the editing's really terrific and that it just uses the flashes it's simple yeah. but it, it what it's so effective for us for and when he turns off the electricity Stern has a little aftermath as well and he's just <laughs> shaking and he walks. he's on all fours yeah. when he comes around the corner he that bit. In the next scene, yeah. he's and he's going. he's like steaming yeah. and everything yeah. and it I think it's truly the this thing. might be a no brainer but uh Hamnil Award? Oh, oh yeah. Well, it's Tim Curry, isn't it? Because uh, oh, Tim Curry's got that wonderful, yeah. wonderful dissolve from the Grinch cartoon to yeah. actual Tim Curry, the Grinch. <laughs> it's the line delivery of pizza, <laughs> which I, I love every time. But it goes, John Hughes uh, has used the skeleton gag with John Candy in Planes, Trains. Planes, Trains, well. which is one of the funniest bits yeah. when he turns into the devil. I love that. Well, he turns into the devil is funnier than the skeleton in that bit, but this. I think, yeah. I think like they took a good idea and like, oh, let's do that joke again and let's do it better. And here with Stern, oh man. Is it added, um, is it added, uh, umbrage because Kevin decides to like the <laughs> fucking voltage? <laughs> yeah. With no expression on his face either. He is just. I think he starts smiling. Okay. When he gets to the high point, I think you see a little, <laughs> a little knowing well, but Marv's hair, Marv's yeah. hair, and da- Daniel Stern is the two brilliant. funniest moments in both films to me. It's it's is the electrocution and it's the tarantula yeah, in the film. <laughs> yeah. But again, oh, there's another one. There's another one. Oh, Stan, he's got two more in this that I love. Well, getting and bricked it's, as well. It's, it's um, <laughs> getting bricked is a masterclass in comedy <laughs> acting. It really is. It's probably my favourite scene apart from the sink. But also, yeah. also, Kev, um, Max saying to him, uh, 
do you want more? Was it you want? Have you had enough pain? And he just puts his hands on his hips and goes, never, <laughs> which is terrific. It's a cartoon at that point. Do you think the um the never is the point because um we are. We are sticking, we are like beating the shit out of them for like a good 10 or 12 minutes longer than we did before and in much more violent ways. And I think that you need to have that because like, what if the, after a while the audience is like, fuck me, they're going <laughs> to kill them. And so I think what you need is like that little moment of like the hubris, the dumb fucking hubris of them that they will never stop chasing him. Devlin, when they fall off the, the kerosene rope, I mean, I'm sure there's been many YouTube, YouTube videos <laughs> that have like said how they would die in each and every single um, yeah. smash. But like, there you is a film where... Before. You're not surviving 35 cans oh, <laughs> landing on you from 10 stories. There is up. a film uh, to be made where that first brick literally sends Bob oh to, the, to the hospital and yeah, he never wakes it. up. <laughs> the brick... When he's rolling around like a turtle <laughs> on his back. <laughs> the bricks make me laugh so much. The That's when I'm in immediately because it's just so dumb blunt violence and the sound effect because they've obviously got really good foley sound of like after the brick hits him you hear it clanking along the pavement and it's like it's just when it clunks against his skull though that sound oh it's so good and this is and we've already mentioned it this is new york pre kind of cleaned up new york so of course nobody's going to really be bothered about someone lobbing bricks from, from the top of a brand. <laughs> That's the least of your worries at that point. I, I do, not to take anything away from Pesci as well, because when Pesci's head's on fire and he goes to douse it, that, mm. his acting in there That's is a great very, yeah. very and Whoever funny. the stunt person who is, who does the vertical uh, like upside down. Oh, that's, kind of that's Bob Hoskins. It's so funny. In, that is. It's so oh, good. It's, <laughs> it's so, so good. Well, the, when, we cut out, when we cut outside to the big explosion, it's really, <laughs> yeah. again, we're, it's a cartoon. It's great. It's, but you, you touched on it there, Gally. The, I think the best shot in, maybe in the film for me is, is or the best action sequence perhaps is the uh, falling from the rope, hitting the kind of oh, seesaw yeah. of wood and then the, the paint cans coming down because I rewound that I don't know how many hmm. times to see how they were how they it's did good, that. Isn't it? it looks great, still looks great. Then the making of talks about like some of the rules that he was trying to employ in in making these things funny, and I think one of them has to hurt. You have mm -hmm. to see it and think, "Oh, yep. that really hurts." Um, which is why I think the nail in the first one works so well because we <laughs> we talked about it. Everyone stood <laughs> yeah. on something sharp before and gone. Oh, really um and it's a bit like the the whole needle phobia that everyone has it mm. kind of feeds oh into god him. it's so slow the way he goes into his foot yeah. and it's the sound of like what appears to be some sort of pus yeah. that's just popped and it... but he, he essentially kept referring back to like marx brothers mm. and stooges and that it's got to feel and be authentic in the it's gotta make action. you wins right yeah yeah the physicality yeah. of it's got to be real and real but also safe well i think here's the difference then as well that there's a a lovely Home Alone fall at the very beginning of the piano player. And I think it's hilarious. Her legs oh. going up in the air. It's really <laughs> funny. But there are concerned people rush into her. Yeah, And, and then, then Uncle that, Frank starts then... laughing hysterically. That's the Frank, Frank's there just like, yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> Because when she gets smacked with the tree, 
you're like a little concerned, but that she turns it into an athletic <laughs> double backwards <laughs> roll makes. And then it's funny. a kindly old piano teacher oh, as well, which she gives Kevin with a little nod. It's time for your solo. The little smile mm. is so funny. It's just so it's so oh, good. God. <laughs> But the, that's the difference between that there's real concern and someone rushes in. And then with these, it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I'm always kind of rooting and cheering like, yeah, more. You know, it, I get into that, that vibe with it. And I love the Empire Review, again, Critics Corner very early, but Devlin, they wrote that Ken was systematically torturing the sticky yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what? When I watch Roadrunner, I, Wiley Coyote is one of my favorite characters because he just doesn't give up. I like that about him. And in this, I'm, I don't side with them. I'm still on Kevin's side, but I appreciate that they don't give up on some level. I like how uh, how kind of low low tier criminal they really are. I know that they're trying to steal from the kids, but the <laughs> yeah. fact that Marv is just stealing shit scarves and hats throughout the entire mm-hmm. every time. I mean, again, it, it speaks to like if you're in a film. And you've got moments for you in a, in a running time, make every second count. And Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci are making every second count, especially with their dynamic and the fact that he just keeps stealing hats, <laughs> yeah. scarves Mittens. from everybody. Well, he <laughs> when he goes to that group, that school trip of kids in Central Park, and he's yeah. just tearing them apart. They lift, they lift one <laughs> off its feet. I got him. I got him. <laughs> put him down. Put him down. I didn't hit him. Really him. <laughs> There's a couple of duality things in Home Alone 2 that I really like. And it's Pesci smacking the pigeon. And then his downfall is being engulfed by pigeons. And Right? So I, I, I love the idea of that coming back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. The, the dad going for batteries, and that's his downfall because he fucks the alarm up. Mm-hmm. Kevin getting batteries and he misses the flight. And right. there was one more. But I, I love those kind of ideas. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they crop up a couple of times. This, but there's one more, and I've forgotten it. Sorry. Someone's thinking it through. There's someone there. Who is he? Soul, soul writing credit. John Hughes on this one. Yeah. The, the rules that we normally deploy, which is, you know, if you're going to set something up, then pay it off. It, mm. it is all there, including, like you say, clown, clown inflatable, <laughs> um, which is <laughs> talk boy uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and even like the because one of the things that I've forgotten was the angels was filthier souls was way more violent in this. Mm. Like he shoots that body, that court, that girl. It's a, it's a woman <laughs> as well. Yeah. And then the she, then continues to shoot her while she's dead and then has one more pop off right at mm. the end. I was like, oh, that's visceral. <laughs> like the first one I thought wasn't that particularly like hardcore for a kid to watch. But that I'd be like, oof, you know. Well, you've got to take it up a notch. That's cool. Hold it right there. This is the concierge, sir. I knew it was you. I could smell you getting off the elevator. You was here last night, too, wasn't you? Yes, sir. I was. You was here, and you were smooching with my brother. (laughs) I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. Don't give me that. You've been smooching with everybody. Snuffy, Al, Leo... Little mole with the gimpy leg, cheeks, bony bob, cliff. <gasps> no. It's a lie. I could go on forever, baby. I'm terribly sorry, sir, but I'm afraid you're mistaken. We're looking for a young man. All right. I believe you. But my Tommy gun don't. Get down on your knees and tell me you love me. 
the shot of Cliff reacting to his name and gasping is is brilliant. That's my dad's. That's my dad's favorite moment in the film, <laughs> where where he says, "You've been smooching with my brother." Yeah. The, the 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 girl, the the lady, is like, "Yeah, I, I was kind of this last night." Was, yeah, yeah. I can assure you, I have not. <laughs> so. <laughs> Even even Tim Curry, um, there's something funny about crawling, but without using your legs. (laughs) (laughs) It's all forearms, and he's just slithering along, commando, like a worm. You Mm. are. There's some there's some nice little um, what do we call them bonus cam shots, Matt? And if we're talking about the auteur thing of whose voice Columbus. Gally, you said it. But he knows how to shoot action and cover it. Maybe it's him and Julio Macat. I still haven't worked out how to pronounce yeah. it. But it, from that opening shot of the McAllister house, and you've got the, more red this time, I think. He really went for it with the red. But uh, it's it's the two of them, I think, that you know they're the key to Home Alone. It's a different production designer for the first one this time, but you still ah, the really? same thing. And in the airport, Gally, what I really appreciated was all the people in the airport going to their gates. If you look closely, a lot of them have presents, mm. like really obviously wrapped presents, Big, of green shiny, and red wrapping yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's it's a nice, it's a neat little dressing it's thing. It's proper nostalgia fuel as well. I mean, there was a part of me watching it this time where I was like, it's a shame for for Duncan's toy chest because it probably went uh, solvent a few years ago just because you know the idea that you could have a toy shop that was all kind of wooden kind of santa's grotto type thing where you could play with stuff it reminded me a bit of toys r us in Fassel park stoke and trent where you used to be able to get on certain bikes and actually ride them up and down the aisles that it it reminded me of flight of the navigator because the toys he gets in that film are out of his time so he doesn't know what a transformer is or a, a gi joe so in, in this one Although Kevin is awed by the place and it does create a timeless, it does have a timeless sense to it. I couldn't help but think like, can I, can I have a mega drive or a, or a Nerf gun or something? Would that not be more, particularly because Kevin's into that kind of stuff. He's not satisfied with a toy soldier as he made a wood. Mm. Or, or a turtle dove. Or a turtle dove. But he, yeah, yeah, he plays along there, doesn't he? Kevin has this thing where he wants to be an adult. And when he's conversing with adults, he gets very haughty and he's sort of, oh, turtle doves. You know, he'll go along with it in that in that moment because he wants to be a grown up. Like the, uh, you know, oh, am I shopping alone? Ma'am, I'm eight years old. <laughs> I don't My feet are barely touching the ground. <laughs> mm. He does that a couple of times in this one. He does. He does. Uh, even when he's convincing um, the lady at the plaza. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, I was bored. Uh, they were talking business uh, and I didn't want to wait in the lobby. That kind of The old uh, get into mischief. We all do. Matt, do you think that's why they're doing the Meisner technique again with um, uh, reading the lines to, to Mac and getting them to repeat them? I think there are there are moments. I haven't seen uh, deleted scenes from this. I'm not sure if there are any. I'll have to have a look and put them in the playlist if there are. But in, in the first one, you can really see that that's, that's how they're directing him. They're giving him... Uh, off-camera cues and he's repeating things a lot like a Judd Apatow kind of thing that they're still mm-hmm. doing that say this say that while the camera's still running but um, yeah, possibly it's only a couple of years later I don't think he's developed as an actor that much he's a bit more practiced and hasn't my girl happened and my girl is, is that in a, between is a far, I think it's in between and my girl is a far more 
you know, it's a far more kind of adult film, despite it being a kind of coming of age. The bees. Oh, the bees. Mm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm crying now, actually, as I think about it. I thought it's, you were doing Nick Cage from... Well, it, 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 I think that's probably what happened, because we, we cut away when he gets attacked by the bees. He probably was like, ah, oh, no, the bees. <laughs> the one time where I thought he was a little bit shaky was right at the beginning when he was, um, and again, because it's a bit contrite, when he's speaking with uh, Catherine O'Hara about, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And, and that, that felt like he wasn't uh, on solid ground, but as soon as he gets to New York, I think he's, you know, or we're in the airport. I think he's doing really good stuff. I think th- there was a bit of an issue with him being a little bit too sarcastic and hard to warm to at the beginning of this. I was a bit concerned, like, cause I, I think you do have to be on his side for it to work. And he does this sort of sarcastic, how exciting and he does the uh yes blah, 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 yes uh, with, the, with hey, the talk boy it's it's kind of annoying your grandma penelope got you let me guess yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and then it's crucial that you empathize with him so we've got that great scene where buzz is playing the drums on his on his head with the candles mm. and all of a sudden the whole family sides with buzz oh buzz she says <laughs> what an idiot i mean who who would believe that what i did want to mention very very quickly was my memory was because i wanted one i wanted a talk boy um mm. for christmas oh, yeah. when i saw the film and i cynic i thought cynically that this was a kind of oh yeah Let's just implant this uh, this this gizzet, mm-hmm. and we will sell loads. I didn't Giz- realize. Excuse me, gizzet. Yeah, a gizzet. You not heard of a gizzet before? I'm not. No. <laughs> is it like a gizmo? <laughs> a gizzet is like a thing that you would buy. You know, just a, is it like an? Is it a um uh what, what's the word? Like not a portmanteau, but is it like from the Glaswegian pronunciation of give me it, which is gizzet. That's that's the Leicester thing. Is I was it? about to say that's that's it. Leicester's gives it here. No, it, no apologies. No, no. It's it's a bit like buying kind of tat. Really, it's just tat. <laughs> a gizzet. Well, that's a thank you very much for a new one. I thought the Tort Boy was a you know completely cynical plant for the film, but no, it was a prop that they wanted to have something that he could use to get himself. And again, I suppose this is talking about well we've got the plaza hotel how do we get to the hotel we need to book a reservation how does a child do that well we'll create something that can voice modulate etc etc the father the father i love how they're there she's just like yes of course sir. yes your reservation as well i'll be like i think i've, I've spoken to somebody who is on the way out is dying <laughs> you got it I think he, I think you might be suffering from a stroke. I don't know. <laughs> Can you smell toast? <laughs> yeah, like literally, she should just do face straight after. F A. Oh no, I think I might have to run that guy back. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a prop, and then a company Devlin Ty- produced Tiger it and said we can the, we can yeah. we can make a te- a, a recorder like that and. Uh, and I wanted it. It was 30, I think it was like 40 quid. Uh, I didn't get it, by the way. Again, New York, talk boy. 
a horrible youth I had. I should have been the kid that Kevin helped. So apparently what happened was they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they partnered with Tiger Electronics, who were a company that made, um, do you remember those little handheld LCD games you'd get where there would only be one, literally yeah. one I game. had a Lone Ranger one. Yeah. It was Ace. Yeah. You, you had Terminator 2, Devon. I did. I just had a Star, a Star Trek, the motion picture one, which made the, the siren sound. <laughs> What's that? Oh, it's just you're yeah. flying into Vija for like for 52 minutes. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, so they they made this thing, but apparently the first one that they made was essentially just a handheld tape recorder player. They didn't it didn't do the slowdown bit, and people were infuriated by it. So it wasn't until the year mm. after ninety three that they released one that could do that. And apparently, they literally just could not make them fast enough. Like they were I flying off the shelf. Really, really. Hey, I I saw Home Alone two lost in New York, and I was like, I. Dear Santa, give me it now, please. I beg you. Did you also I, have to I, slow down? You could slow down the voice. I had this really great. Um, my mate Adam Wazinski at school. There's this great story of him going on a school trip, and his mum had him pack his own bags because he wanted to be an adult. And when she got him to school to go on the bus for the trip, he opened his bag and all he had in it was a talk by a giant chubby chub lolly. <laughs> It was an overnight holiday on school trip. Oh, <laughs> yes. I don't need pajamas. I don't need clothes for tomorrow. I just give me. Yes. Oh, it's yes. so funny. Yeah, it would have done that. I mean, Brian Mills could have used that and taken yeah. mm. it. Strapped it to a rooftop. <laughs> Triangulated. <laughs> made me think well that's how you do it you gotta it's gotta be organic it can't be like cynically implanted yeah, i thought in. it was product placement gun yeah I, th- I, g- I genuinely thought it was because it looked like something that was was produced to make me want to get it mm. and obviously yeah. it was but but you know it came it came later the production i suppose now the problem is that technology is so far advanced that we have to look even further into the future and potentially it wouldn't cost 40 quid to get your talk boy. It would be like, oh, I'll cost you around about 10,000 quid for that you know, <laughs> wonderful VR human thing. I don't know. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? It, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're past the pale. I don't know whether but... you'd be able to impress kids with a toy anymore. I can't imagine. Like... Oh, don't, don't make me feel sad at the end of this. Chat, no, no, me. just like not in, not in a, a, a terrible, just in a kind of like, I, I will say that kids these days are watching so much bullshit. Like my nieces, um, they are on a certain amount of like lockdown as far as they're not allowed to watch YouTube kids except in extremely specific circumstances. And that stuff is just horrific. It's uh, so I think that if you put a toy in a film, I don't think kids would care because they are, they are so inundated with like media about toys constantly that yeah i don't know if you'd ever get an organic breakout like a tape recorder that can make you sound like you're having a brain problem you think buzz lightyear was the last uh, yeah 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 because i mean what would like what would it be you know like what the last massive toy everything just got so kind of advanced as well that it's like you can't really impress me that's that's the joke isn't it the term about doll is shite yeah everyone wants one it's funny but i I still think things like that can happen david just what and when i I, I don't know because things like um harry potter you know the wand sales has been massive since that for example and then we had a grand theft auto 
uh, trailer, teaser trailer recently, and that Tom Petty song had an increase of 30,000% hits uh, on his song. And there's different things, I think. I see. But... So, yeah, you get you achieve breakthrough on different things then, yeah. yeah. I think, like you, like you said, you know, evolutionary modern world, but I would... You got me thinking. I'd really like to figure because I know Barbie had an increase because of the film yeah, Barbie. Lego and movies, maybe, maybe, but a specific uh, gizzit. Yeah, um, I'd li- I would like to see that fidget spin of the movie. It's coming. Hollywood's always about eight years behind the curve, so we're just about on time, on schedule for that. Anything else, team? Before we uh, we head into Critics Corner, I think my my main takeaway is uh um that matt i know that me and you have discussed um friday the 13th part eight jason takes manhattan (laughs) and how that takes the really 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 tantalizing idea of jason slashing his way through iconic new york locations and instead Mm -hmm. ruins him on a boat except for one fucking shot where he walks through Times Square and kicks a... Yeah, the majority of the running time is Jason takes a a large ship. And even when he gets to New York, it's it's Jason takes some alleyways on a back lot. Uh, The fact that this film is so um, populated, the the airport as well, like you were saying, Patrick, with the Mm. big shiny presence and stuff, it's like there's just something so robustly kind of realistic and busting and and galley i know that you're a fan of the uh, hallmark movies who isn't but they are always so kind of weird because it's like there are at best nine people on earth in the hallmark movies there's like there's never there's never anyone there and there's something about this where it's like if you're gonna shoot in new york streets are full People are walking around in their big long overcoats. It's clearly winter. They're clearly actually shooting in winter as well. It's like you can't replicate that amount of like just verisimilitude. And I don't know. That's what I love about it. I think it's the um, it just has vibes. It captures place, doesn't it? Uh, and and I think that's the reason why it, it it drew me as far as I really want to go and visit this city. So it, as far as that, you know, it achieves the aim, which is. You know, in the first one, I was like, oh, I'd really like a 20-bedroom bastard house as well. But in this one, I'd really like to go to New York and go to the plaza. I mean, it's a lovely suite that they You get. just have to become a contestant um, on the Celebrity Ding Dang Dong. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. 200 points, all right. <laughs> what are the rules? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Oh, this is where I need um, Rosie Perez, though. What is a quince? <laughs> what is a quark? <laughs> Coming soon, we've got to do it. Sports with, beginning with the letter Q. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we will uh, We will do where uh, white men can't jump uh, next year, I think. Uh, it's going to be one of our picks, isn't it? Uh, right. Well, before we uh, before we get to our final thoughts and also uh, Patrick's Christmas quiz, Matt, I woke up late and I've got on the darn wrong plane. And then when I when I wanted to check that I was on the right plane, a bloody Frenchman. So um, <laughs> I wanted to know. I, I wanted to know. So, sorry, French listeners. Um, we're still friends. Um, I wanted to know, but I will tear down your city. Uh, if I have to find my daughter, <laughs> I wanted to know what the critics thought of this movie. And the guy next to me, who, you know, God bless him, speaks a different tongue, I can't find out. So when I enter New York, I go to Central Park and there is a pigeon lady and she talks in riddles. Tell me, Matt Ridley, what 
do the critics have to say about this one? Oh, I've gone cross-eyed. Let's start with the original 1992 reviews. Uh, Rog tackled this one. Two stars out of four. Awkward mm. bugger. Just make it five. Why doesn't he make it five? <laughs> uh, he gave it a thumbs up or a thumb up because I think there was two. Uh, he said there was a preachy pigeon lady subplot and a treacly relationship. He must have been hungry when he wrote that bit. <laughs> uh, he called Kevin a sanctimonious little twerp. <laughs> for uh, lecturing Fricker on the meaning of life. Ebert found this contradictory as uh, he thinks Kevin would have had the same empathy for the crooks. Uh, but I didn't didn't really agree with that. I mean, they're evil and she's just a pigeon. It's a nice pigeon. <laughs> yeah, it's Rog forgetting that they were going to steal the kitty kids. Yeah, uh, they pulled a yeah, gun on him. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're immoral and they're thieves and they're trying to put a bullet hole in his forehead. So I don't think it's the same thing as the pigeon, Lady Rog. Uh, flesh and blood maiming doesn't work as it isn't funny to hear bones crunch. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, I've just put debatable. <laughs> Roger, debatable. Um, he suggests that setting fire to robbers isn't very Christmassy. Uh, and he added a sarcastic ho, ho, ho into his review. Uh, and he noted that it repeats the formula of the first. So he was watching. Uh, he did confess that he doesn't know if it's a children's film. He thought that kids would love it and the adults would watch through their fingers. So I, I think it's pretty much a kid's film. Uh, one of our other friends of the show, Janet Maslin at the New York Times wrote, uh, Home Alone 2 may be lazily conceived, but it is staged with a sense of occasion and a lot of holiday cheer. The return of Mr. Culkin in this role is irresistible. Even if this unnaturally, sorry, utterly natural comic actor has been given little new to do. Pesci and Stern bring great gusto to their character's stupidity to the point where they are far funnier just walking and talking than they are being <laughs> hurt. Uh, Brian Lowry at Variety wrote, Hughes and Company 2 are in the construction business, essentially rebuilding the same house with bigger windows. An inflated budget, reportedly 40 million to 50 million, with all the puffed up salaries. And if possible, a sappier outlook. Those action sequences are well choreographed, if perhaps too mean spirited, even in light of their cartoonish nature. Uh, and then I went into the basement for very quickly. Uh, someone called Dirk Diggler simply said, Kevin is a fucking psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half stars. Uh, and someone calling themselves featuring Dante from the DMC series said one thing about Tim Curry. If you're lost somewhere, he will not let you leave which I thought was quite clever. I think it was a knit reference, I, I hope. Um, and lastly, uh, Zane Timonia said, uh, a speculative fiction film dealing with imaginative concepts such as Trump being polite for two seconds. <laughs> very That's good. Very, very, very good. Yeah, that was, that was a play with my expectations there. No, yeah, yeah, well, you know what? I mean, <laughs> I, I wonder as well, um, and we've seen this with some of the other sequels that we've covered thus far on the show. Critics just don't like them, do they? Uh, no. I think, and you also, I think when you have a sequel to an incredibly surprising but huge hit, they're always going to get it twice as hard. Well, they have right? a chip like, on their this shoulder. Isn't, but... This isn't like some plucky upstarter. This is like, wait a minute, this is Home Alone 2, the, you know, the sequel to the biggest film 
of 1990. Um, well, it better be absolutely brilliant. And if, if they put themselves in the shoes of a child a bit more, I think they'd they'd write better. Rog is also well wrong because Jackass, Dirty Sanchez, and yeah. me watching endless YouTube videos of people face planting, <laughs> bone crunching is exactly <laughs> what this generation are in for. So. Yeah, I think pendulum swings back and forth on these things as far as how critical consensus is supposed to line up with supposedly vulgar, low art aimed at us dummies. And I think that um, for a few years, what we've had is this kind of like poptimism thing of like, you're not allowed to dislike the popular thing because you're being snobby if you, you know, if you push back against stuff that the, the, the mass is like, it's like, how dare you? Whereas I think back then there was probably a sense of like, these are critics who came up in, you know, some of the most fascinating and interesting eras in American cinema. And then they would have been the, probably the first generation to be really schooled in world cinema. And I just think that the idea of watching recent Oscar winner um, uh, Joe Pesci get his face smashed with a tool chest, probably they were a little bit disheartened by the idea of the fact that like, this is what people are choosing to spend the studio's time and money on. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I, I I do think that it's understandable and fair that they would get sniffy, especially when you read out the rest of that top 10 and it's like, you know, a very boring but worthy Robert Redford drama, uh, a, a, a very vital historical biopic about uh, Malcolm X, you know, and then it's like, and also uh, man gets his uh, cock stapled. <laughs> <laughs> and two diehard clones as well i just say what a great week mm. i mean i would have gone to see i mean mate do i see the fly fishing probably not no, um no, but not i see nine out of those 10 films <laughs> right patrick mm. ho ho hoers to your christmas quiz <laughs> <laughs> sorry that caught me off guard oh, quiz hot shot matt and dev you're on seven galley you're on five i think i've messed the scores up somewhere along the line but because let's see who uh goes into the new year in the lead and let's hear your buzzer please galley don't give me that you've been spoken with everybody <laughs> <laughs> what's your buzzer devlin oh wouldn't want to spoil your fun mr cheapskate hey oh let's see if there's going to be a frank come in what's your buzzer matt housekeeping <laughs> yeah that's a good buzzer great Good, here we go. Question one then. Question one. What floor of the Plaza Hotel does Kevin stay on? Oh, wouldn't want to spoil your fun, Mr. Cheapskate. 30th? No. Sorry. Don't give me that. You've been spoken with everybody. Gally, you were next. Not the fifth floor, is it? No. Housekeeping. Matt? 23rd floor? It's the fourth floor. After he sl- after he slides on his belly under the lady from Adam's family, he presses the button. Yeah, it's the fourth. Yes. Uh, how about Hoover said on that floor? <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Question two. Name one other VHS that Kevin has lined up apart from Angels with Even Fifty Souls. Housekeeping. Matt? I think there's one called Flybait. Correct! Well done! <laughs> oh, great answer, Matt. Well done. You could have had the uh, ventilator, <laughs> Flybait, or the Matt <laughs> Mattville Massacre. Question three. Uh, what's the name of the children's hospital? Oh, wouldn't want to 
I spoil your fun, Mr. Cheapskate. Is it St. Jude's? It is not. Don't give me that. You've been spoken with everybody. Kelly. St. Mary's? Incorrect. Sorry. The Passion of St. Tibius. <laughs> is it is it dubbed? Is it dubbed or is it subtitled? Subtitled. Down with that sort of thing. Um, careful now. Matt, for the win. Housekeeping. Mr. Duncan's. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. Mr. Duncan's up. House of Sick Kids. <laughs> Uncle Mo's family fever. Um, it's St. Anne's Hospital for Children. Yeah, Matt got one point win. However, just a play along thing. Bonus point here for anyone who can name all of the people the dame smooches. Okay, bear with me here. Bear with me. Here. Gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, give you a clue. Bear with me while you search for the note, Devlin. I looked at it, so I'm not looking now. Look, I'll close my, close my bloody. I'll look <laughs> okay, down okay. at the ground. I believe you. Okay. So it's, my... <laughs> it's <laughs> Snuffy, Al, Bony Bob, Little Mo with the gimpy leg. Uh, um, the fucking, oh, Jesus, the guy from the, uh, um, the guy from the, the hotel, uh, the fucking guy who's right there with them. <laughs> Shit. And I, Cliff! Okay, Cliff, I, I think I've... You're, miss, you're missing, you're missing one name. You didn't get Leo. Yeah. Leo is the one. Uncle Leo! <laughs> <laughs> Hello! <laughs> well played, guys, well played, and I look forward to another quiz in the new year, but... Matt, in the meantime, do you have any final thoughts on Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York? I think there's been a fair amount of positivity, so I'm going to drop a few caveats. Uh, I think the caricatured villains will be hit or miss for some people, particularly uh, adults at this point, as the critics have uh, pointed out. I think it was a bridge too far for my dad when we originally went. Um, He took one for the team and took me to something I would enjoy. Uh, So big dad points there and... uh, also, we got to see The Fugitive, which was great. So um, I think um, ordinarily I would hate the whole break the fourth wall. My family's in Florida. I'm in New York. Raises eyebrows. It's ham and cheese of the highest order. And I, I, it would be a complete turn off. But with these films, I just go with it. I'm, I think it's because I saw them so young. I forgive all their sins like Jesus did. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't... Or can't dissect them really. I, I, unless we're doing a podcast on them, I can really try, but it's hard to deconstruct this. I think it's held together with all of its Christmas wrapping. And, uh, yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. And my letterbox rating should maybe come into it. I gave the first one four and a half stars and I gave this one four. So I, there's something there, there is a discrepancy between them for me. And hopefully I've touched on a couple of examples why, but. I do like the the conceit that Kevin becomes morally obligated to defend Duncan's toy chest because of how much it means to kids on Christmas and the money going to charity. And I like that he's he's got this moral duty. And because if you think about it, when the mum arrives, that's around the same time. They they have like that that bit where they cross over, and she could have taken him out of danger at that point, but he decides to go on this philanthropic quest. And it's an expression of good and it's a real meaning of Christmas thing. And uh, it's a pantomime. It's bigger 
whether it's better is debatable, but it's Mr. Bean, it's Jack Tatty, it's Keenan and Kel, it's the Chuckle Brothers, it's Laurel and Hardy, it's Jackass, like Gally said, it's the same, it's tried and tested and indispensable Crimbo classics, I think. Uh, and I watch them every year, the, the pair of them. So uh, how about Devlin? I'll go to Devlin next. Uh, yeah, I love this one. I, it was interesting when you said that you wanted to create something a bit timeless because I think that um, those little moments, like, for example, Duncan's toy chest not looking like a contemporary toy store that kids would have, um, you know, fallen on, like, hungry jackals and started ripping open plastic shell casings, you know, to, to get complicated little action figures and the fact that it was more the idea of a toy shop as opposed to a toy shop itself. And I think that that kind of thing, that kind of golden glow around everything is, is the thing that means that, um, you know, my, my mom, for example, loves this and she loves both films and she will watch them. And, and she kind of, she feels very strongly that that is, uh, uh, you know, part of our Christmas tradition as well. And she was an adult when it came out. So um, yeah, it taps into like you say something very, something very classic, and to have pulled the trick off twice, even I had the same thing that you had, which is that I don't hold this one quite up there at the same level as the first, but it really isn't very far off. And I mean, what a ploy to have to have managed this twice is really impressive. To have managed two real classics in the space of two years that are virtually the same film. In a, in a different location and to not feel like you are being cynically manipulated is that's quite a feat i think so uh yeah love it it's an annual an annual rewatch um what about you patrick mm. uh yeah i like everything you both said there thank you uh i think as sequels go it's great isn't it it's it's a people can really struggle with sequels but this one doesn't and i read these criticisms online this one asshole guy did his whole article on the geography of it. And I just couldn't give a fuck. The film's really great and so entertaining. And uh, Matt says, I think um, the Jim commandments thing, if, if the repetition is a flaw or um, mm. aids the film and I think it aids it. What, what's there's nothing wrong with the way that they've done this and the, they've achieved something that is the repetition makes me happier the familiarity it's it's christmas and christmas can be familiar with your family and and how you do your own traditions and this is one of them for me now and all of that is is great for me um i think it's super funny which it should be it's a comedy and if you don't have that then then that's it's never going to work anyway and it's so funny hilarious it, it, arguably more so than the first one for me with the, the moments we talked about and I, I I kind of agree. I think the first one's a better film, but just, you know, it's like I, I had Christmas dinner last year and it was amazing. And this year, maybe the cranberries are a bit sour or something. You know, it's, well, I'm splitting hairs. Yeah. It, it, but it's, it tends to be an original film will always be better for me because it was the first one anyway. And Home Alone does have, uh, I think the through line uh, and, the, and the character of old man Marley and, and uh, Kate, mum having a bit more to do with John Candy. I think they're the elements for me that just pip it. Um, when I think about it now, maybe I can go deeper into it, but that, that's my, my feeling. They still both look great. They're edited well. It, it has action and, it, and the action's done marvelously. If there's, there's a big talk at the moment about having a stunt category at the Oscars and I, I 
I have no doubt that these two, Home Alone and Home Alone 2, would have won best stunts if it was a category at the time, because they are genius. Um, and it, I think it takes, we talked about the voice of like John Hughes and, and Columbus earlier and look at the other Home Alone films now. And without those two ingredients, they're, they're not good at all. And I think that's telling also because this was the right people at the right time making the right films that were done well and with heart and soul and really wanted to make it cinematic and entertaining. And they're, they're brilliant for me. Uh, I'm talking about them like a, like a pair. Excuse me. We're talking yeah, about them. Yeah. Me too. I was. But, um, I, I, I thoroughly, I, I love it. I'm so glad we talked about it. I'm glad I got to watch it. And I, do you think I'll watch it again before Christmas Day this year? Because I, I just will. I hope to open the Christmas Radio Times to see it, to highlight it, to get ready to watch it. Um, and you know, performances are great. Again, I'm just, I've got it here on the side and what a fucking awesome actor Macaulay Corleone was in this film and Home Alone and now that time. It was a true movie star and yeah, really great to, to watch it. Thank you. If you're wondering where you can watch Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York. If you're in Korea, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. If you're in the USA, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. And if you're in the UK, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. And uh, f- also, if you're in America, Fubo stars Bing Bong, Mincemeat, Cranberry. <laughs> Java. Uh, Java, yeah. Or, or you could ask you know, Santa to deliver it to your door. But, I mean, chance <laughs> You're not going to get or, or Mr. Duncan. Mr. Duncan <laughs> yeah. might um, uh, bring it to you, door. He's no longer with us. Yeah, he is. No, oh. and, and the store is no longer trading. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, uh, another, another... Forever victim. in our hearts, though. Yeah, another victim to globalisation. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we shall say our goodbyes and our warm wishes to our listeners, shall we, team? Um, so, firstly, from me, another year done. Amazing. Um, so I just want to say thank you, listeners, for enjoying and staying with us. Um, and I hope you all have a merry, merry Christmas and a happy new year. We'll be coming back straight out the gates with Police Academy. Yes. Uh, well, uh, well, actually, Police Academy Four, Matt, specifically, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna Police run Police Academy the Four: colon, Citizens on Patrol. Yeah. So you know, nothing like hitting 2024 with that. Uh, you know, not at all controversial series that is the Police Academy. So there we go. Um, so that'll be coming in the new year uh, straight out of the gate. So yes, have a good Christmas, everybody. Um, oh, I, we've already done the Frankie. You're cooking. Just call me Cliff. It's Galley in Glasgow. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas, you nosy little perverts. <laughs> it's Devlin in London. See you all in the new year. Merry Christmas, Harry, and happy Hanukkah, Marv. Merry Christmas, listeners. Thank you very much. Cheers, chaps. It's Patrick in London. Wow. What a hole. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.